Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, Lord, for your love, your grace, for your infinite mercy. We thank you for your word. You're such an awesome God. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you love us. And I just pray tonight as we look at the calling that you've placed upon each one of our lives, that, that Father God, we'd understand that when you saved us, you saved us, that you might indwell us and you might use us for your kingdom. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we would not be saved souls living wasted lives. But Father God, we truly would be in the center of your will, yours for your glory. We pray, Father God, you would be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. All right, again, as those of you who may be new, we're going verse by verse through the Old Testament on Wednesday night, verse by verse through the New Testament on Sunday. And right now, we're in, tonight, we're in the book of Exodus. I'll catch you up real quick of what we've been looking at. We're in Exodus chapter 4. Last week, we looked at the burning bush. We saw the calling of God upon Moses. And what I love about this is that every single one of us, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, God has a calling upon your life. A lot of times we think that calling is only for those that are you know, full-time pastors or the worship leader or somebody like that. But every one of us, when we gave our life to Jesus Christ, He's got a calling upon our life. And we're going to look a little bit at that tonight. Now, a couple of things we saw was first that he, God revealed His glory to Moses. We know that Moses was at Mount Sinai. We know that he was there and, and he was tending sheep. And as he was tending sheep, he had spent 40 years in the wilderness, not knowing that he, would, he may have thought he was going to be there the rest of his life. But in the midst of that, the bush was burning and he approached it and the Lord told him who he was. God spoke to Moses and as he beheld his glory, God gave him a calling for his life. And that's an example of what must happen in each one of our lives. Until we behold the glory of God, we will not know his calling for our life. Until we spend intimate time in his presence, we can never know God's perfect will and his plan for each one of us. You know what? The first thing we must do is fall in love with Jesus. Amen? We must know, not just know about Him, but know Him in an intimate and a personal way. Have a, a relationship with Him. Be the bride of Christ. And Moses has been 40 years in the wilderness, and now he beholds the glory of God. And once he's beheld the glory of God, God puts a calling in his life. And He tells him that he is to go and free his people. But remember his response. I love his response. It's a response we should all have. When he says, I want you to be the deliverer, his response was, who am I that you would use me? He doesn't say, it's about time, Lord, I've been waiting for this call. You know, I'm a pretty special guy, and I can't believe it took this long for you to get to me. You know, he didn't respond that way. He said, who am I that you would use a man like me? And God has a calling upon his life. He tells him what is going to happen. He says, you're going to go and you're going to deliver my people. After 400 years of bondage, you're going to be the one that I send back to deliver the people. So God appeared to Moses. He beheld his glory. He was called by God. He responded in humility. And then he directed Moses. And, and so same can be said of our lives as well, that God desires to lead and guide and direct our lives. God is not this faraway God who created the world and then just let go and everything just kind of happens by chance. Our God is sovereign, our God is faithful, our God is in control, and you know what? He loves you so very much, He has a perfect plan for your life. So here's what we're going to look at tonight. Moses, we saw, responded last week, but now we're going to see some faithlessness on, the, on the behalf of Moses. What's going to happen is we're going to see his objections to his calling. He's going to look at things from a physical perspective rather than a spiritual one. We're going to see his concern over the unbelief of others. We're going to see his doubt due to his own physical inadequacies. We're going to see him finally returning to Egypt. We're going to see him depart from the land he had dwelled in for 40 years. We're going to see God give him instruction along the way. We're going to see Moses' son being circumcised. And then lastly, we're going to see him reunited with both his brother and his people. So let's pick up by looking at the directions for his call, as God gives him a calling, how Moses objects to his calling. And you know what? 
This will probably sound familiar to most of us, where God has called us to do stuff, and then we react in unbelief. And, the reason, and there are a couple reasons why we do, and let's take a look. Beginning at his concern over the belief of others. Look at verse 1. It says, And Moses answered and said, But suppose that they will be, not believe me or listen to my voice. This is after God had commanded him to go back and deliver his people. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So, what, wait a minute, Lord, you're going to send me back, but you've got to realize, Lord, I've been out in the desert for 40 years, and you know, I'm just a shepherd, and you want me to go back to Egypt and appear to 2 million Israelites and tell them that I've been sent by you to deliver the people? Now, you told me your name is I am that I am, and I understand that, and you're Almighty God, but what if they don't believe me? What if I go back there and they just don't believe me? You know what? I believe this is the number one reason most Christians don't share their faith. We're afraid, well, what if they don't believe me? Well, what if they ask me a question that I don't have an answer to? Then what am I going to do? Here's the good news, you guys. We're called to share our faith. God is the one who convicts people and brings them to the place of salvation. Amen? We're just called to be obedient, speak the word of God in love, love people unconditionally, and let the Holy Spirit do the rest of it. And Moses says, well, what if I go back and they don't believe me? While it may seem like an innocent enough question, ultimately we'll see that he's questioning God's word because last chapter, one of the things the Lord said to him in Genesis 3.18, when you go, he says, then they will heed your voice. They will hear you and they will heed your voice. So the Lord said to him, you're going to go back, you're going to speak to them and they're going to heed your voice. Now he says, well, what if they don't believe me? You know what? We need to learn to trust God's promises. Amen? Sometimes God will direct and lead and guide us to do things and we say, well, that's for someone else, that's not for me. And you know, Moses heard God's voice. He heard, I mean, he appeared to him in a burning bush. You think that would probably be a good enough sign? What do you think? Amen? I mean, if a burning bush and starts speaking to me, that, that's probably good. That Okay, oh, I, need to, I need to listen to this. And so what happens instead, though, he says, well, what if I go back and they don't believe me? Fear of men instead of obedience to God. While pride is wrong, response to God's calling, so too is doubt. Look at verse 2. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And so he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. So in response to his physical doubts, God's going to do three miracles right before his eyes. And he's going to give him three signs to prove, you know, as if the burning bush wasn't enough, he's going to give him three more signs to prove to him that he truly is God, and that he should heed his word. And so the first thing he does is he says, what is that in your hand? Now this is the stick, the rod, that Moses carried around as a shepherd, and he would use it to you know, keep the sheep in line and maybe defend off a wild animal every once in a while or just to lean on when he wanted to rest. And now he's got this stick in his hand and God says, I want you to take that stick and I want you to throw it on the ground. Moses says, okay, Lord, he obeys him. He throws the stick on the ground and the stick becomes a serpent. And what does Moses do? He runs. The same thing Moses did when, he, when they found out he was a murderer in Egypt, he ran. And now this time when he sees the serpent in front of him, he's going to flee. He's going to run away. Why? Because there's fear in his heart. Moses fled from it just as, again, he had fled from the physical things. Now, in the Bible, what is the serpent a picture of? Satan. Who is it that tempted Eve in the garden? The serpent, right? Serpent is also a picture of Egypt in that in Egypt... It was a, the cobra was like their, you know, the, their, their symbol. And even the pharaoh would wear a, a pin of a cobra on his vestiture. All right? And so it's a picture of Egypt and it's a picture of Satan. And what happens is when Satan appears and when this, you know, the, the picture of Egypt appears, he flees from it. Just as he fled from Egypt once before, he's fleeing from it once again. Now why does he flee from it? Because he's looking at it from a, a physical point of view. 
You know, when we see things from a physical point of view, we can get overwhelmed real quick. Oh, Lord, I, but Lord, this is so difficult. I can't share my faith. They won't, they'll give me a hard time. Lord, I don't only have this amount of money in my bank account. I'm never going to make it. You know, Lord, here's my situation. If we look at it from a physical point of view, you know, if we're simple man trying to overcome worldly odds, we'll never make it. You know, I love the story of David and Goliath. David, teenager. Goliath, anywhere from nine and a half feet to 11 feet tall, between 600 and 750 pounds. 11 foot, 750. Guy comes down 40 days and 40 nights, into the, and, and every time he comes down, he, can you imagine? And all the Israelites, he says, you come down and fight me, and if you guys win, then we'll serve you. If your champion wins, but if I win, then all of Israel must serve us, the Philistines. So for 40 days and 40 nights, the number of testing, he goes down into the valley of Elah, and every time he comes down, all the Israelites, they, you know, they, they look at, oh man, he's 11 foot 750, he's going to squash me. That guy will kill me, there's no way I can fight that guy. Well, David shows up delivering cheese to his brothers, right? And that's, it's, that's what happens. He's delivering cheese to his brothers, and he hears this, this Philistine murmuring against God. And what does David say, this teenage boy? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? He doesn't say, who's this 11 foot 750 and I'm just a kid? He says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against God? It wasn't David against Goliath. It was Goliath against Almighty God. And we know the story, David went down and won the battle. Moses here is looking at it from a physical perspective, and he flees from the serpent because he's afraid. But God's going to give him instruction. Look at verse 4. Then God said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Now, God asked him to do something that doesn't make sense. Now, I don't know, I've never handled, really handled snakes much in my life, but I know enough that you don't grab snakes by the tail. Right? That's... That's not where you grab snakes. I mean, you ever see that? What's that guy, that alligator guy and snake guy What's it on TV? Whatever that guy's name is. He's always, I mean, that guy's nuts. We need to pray for him. But I mean, it, it, you're going out, going out, oh, there's a water moccasin. You know, yeah, if, it's, if it touches you, you'll die instantly. We're going to go find something. You know, I mean, that's, not, that's not really where I'm at. But he goes around, and can you imagine, every time I see him, he's grabbing a snake right behind the, if they have ears, I don't know if snakes have ears, but he grabs them right behind there, right by, on top of the head, and, and picks them up and holds them so they can't bite you. If you grab a snake by the tail, you are going to get bit, like, quick, right? So the Lord says, hey, Moses, don't flee from that serpent. I want you to bend down and grab it by the tail. Oh, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense to me. But you know what? If God calls us to do something, it doesn't have to make sense from a worldly perspective. Amen? You know what? Most of the time when God calls us to do something, it makes absolutely no sense from the worldly perspective. You know, when people leave jobs making, you know, great incomes to go be a pastor making 10% of their old income, that, that makes no sense. When people leave everything they have and move halfway around the world to become a missionary, that doesn't make any sense. When people pass up a promotion because they want to stay in the church that they're in where God's filling them and they're growing and they're being fed and they say no to the promotion at work, that doesn't make any sense. And you know what? That's what God does when he calls us. Quite often it doesn't make sense. So he tells Moses, I want you to reach down and grab it by the tail. I'm going to test your faith. So what happens? Verse 5. And we see there that it, well, at the end of verse 4, he caught it and it became like a rod in his hand. So he responds in faith to God's command. He grabs the snake by the tail and it became like a rod. It reveals God's power over both Satan and Egypt. You know what? God is victorious over Satan. Amen? And he grabbed it by the tail and it became a rod once again. Verse 5. That they may believe that the Lord God our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, had appeared to you. He's saying, look, I want you to take, and you're going to do this in the presence of the people in Israel. You're going to throw the rod down. It's going to become a serpent. You're going to reach down and grab it by the tail. It's going to become a rod again so that the people might believe that I have sent you. 
He said, you know what? I'm not just going to send you out, but I'm going to go with you when I send you out. Where God guides, God provides. Amen? God never calls you to do something that He won't equip you to do as well. He doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. And those who are called by God and are faithful and obedient, He will prepare you to do what He's called you to do. The purpose of the miracle, again, is so that others may believe. Miracles are not to glorify men. Miracles are always to glorify God. Amen? A lot of people, you see these miracle crusades on TV and people waving coats and blowing on people. Who's that glorifying? The worldwide ministry got somebody's name up there? That's not from God. Amen? If it glorifies men... Get your eyes off men. Get your eyes on Jesus. Amen? It's He's the one who saved us. He's the one that died for us. Now, if this is not enough, okay, there's been a burning bush. Now he's picked up the the snake from the ground and it's turned into a rod. He's going to give him yet another sign. Look at verse 6. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Now, leprosy in the Bible is a picture of what? Sin. Why? Because leprosy is an incurable disease that kills you slowly, right? Leprosy basically is a death sentence, and so is sin. Sin will separate us from our Heavenly Father, and leprosy will, put, will kill us. And it says when he pulled his hand out, it was white as snow. That is the furthest along of leprosy. It's the, the worst case. When it turns white, you're about done. Can you imagine Moses' response when he pulls his hand out and it's covered in leprosy? That's a death sentence. Game over for you, Moses. You're done. And you know what? Could have left him there. And that's how many of us started, right? We, we, well, that's how we all started. We started sinners. And we had a death sentence on each one of our lives. But you know what the good news is? He didn't leave him with his hand there. Look what he tells him to do in verse 7. He said, put your hand in your bosom again. And he put his hand in his bosom again. And behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Now, Can you imagine the rejoicing that came from the moment of leprosy, oh no, I'm a dead man, to wait a minute, I'm alive again. The same is true with each one of us. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, but when you get to know Jesus Christ, the leprosy's gone. The sin's been paid for. The price has been paid. You're going to heaven. So leprosy, a picture of sin. And there is no human cure for sin. There's no human cure for leprosy. It can only come from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's a picture of sin, and it's also a picture of the bondage that Israel had been in for 400 years in Egypt. And he's showing them barely clearly. Look, here's the serpent and a picture of Egypt, and here is bondage and a picture of sin, and I'm going to deliver you from both of those. And how does that delivery come? How can you be delivered? Moses fled from the serpent, and the Lord said, grab by its tail, and it was restored. He, his hand was covered in leprosy, and all of a sudden, it's been restored as well. Verse 8. Then it will be that if you do not believe, nor heed the message on the first sign, that may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even the two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river, pour it on dry land, that the water that you take from the river will become blood on dry land. So these signs were designed for them to go before Israel so they would know that he had come from God. That this was not his message or his sign or his plan. They said, we want to know that you've come from the Lord. And so he's going to put these signs before, him, before them that they would know. And the last sign, he says, if they don't believe the first sign, when, I, when they grab the rod and grab the, the serpent and it turns into a rod, if they don't believe the sign of the leprous hand, there's one more sign to come. And that sign is that you will dip a pitcher of water into the Nile, and in Egypt, they considered the Nile to be the source of life and power. Okay? And he said, we're going to take water out, and when we pour it on dry land, it will become blood. Now, 
What do you think that's a picture of? What is the only thing that can free us from Satan? What is the only thing that can free us from the leprosy of sin? What is the only thing that can pay the price for both of those things that we might be freed from bondage as they were in bondage in Egypt as we've been in bondage to sin? What's the only thing that can free us? The shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what that is. That water turning into blood is a picture of Jesus. You've got to remember, this is 1,500 years or so before Jesus comes to earth. But don't you love the Bible? Again, 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents in three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how's that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And that's why we study every single verse in the Bible. That's why we're not just skipping around and, you know, talking about giving one week and forget. You know, we're going to teach the whole counsel of God. And you know what? I love the Old Testament because it all points to Jesus. Every bit of it is pointing to the one who's coming. And don't you love it? And so he's telling them, you're going to pour it out on dry land, and it will turn into blood. Again, a sign to the people of Israel that he truly has come from God. Praise the Lord for that. So what's the spiritual application? These signs were designed to let the people of Israel see that Moses was sent by God. They spoke of God's power over Satan, over Egypt, over sin, over bondage, and the redemptive work that was to come in the person of Jesus Christ. Now we go from his unbelief, about concern about the unbelief of the people, now we're going to see his fears of his own inadequacy to be used by God. Now, again, I believe that to a certain extent, that's a good thing. Being humble is a good thing. Feeling like God could never use you, in a sense, is a good thing. But if it gets to the point where we begin to doubt God and disbelieve God and His promises, now it's a bad thing. Humility is good, doubt is bad. Amen? And so it's good to be humble. And Moses is humble, but you know what? He's humble to the point of grieving God. Look at verse 10. And it says, Then Moses said, O, Lord, o my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So Moses doubt, doubts due to his circumstances or due to his own physical inadequacies. He's saying, you know what, I've seen all the signs you've done. I can't possibly question that you're Almighty God, and I know the people won't, won't react in unbelief, but now I've got to look at myself. Lord, did you, there's just no way you could use me. I, don't you know that I'm slow of speech? Lord, don't, don't you know that I'm, I'm a stutterer? I'm not, real, I'm not real eloquent. The word eloquent means fluent in speech, and it possibly refers to the fact that he was a stutterer. He responds with fear when God calls him. Having grown up in Egypt, he knew what it would be like to go stand before Pharaoh and he thought, there's no way. You know, I'm a stutterer. I mean, these guys are going to all be, I'm going to be wearing my shepherd's flock and carrying a stick in my hand. There's no way that they're going to, and I can't even talk. How can you possibly use me? You know what? We must, not, we must be careful to not allow the education or the positions of other men to intimidate us when it comes to speaking spiritual truth. Amen? I don't care how many degrees you got behind your name. It means absolutely nothing if you don't have Jesus Christ. Amen? You know what? People, uh, you know, I, I'll tell you what. A janitor, I, well, I don't want to pick on janitors, but janitors are hardworking, God, God, godly people. Praise the Lord for them. A ditch digger, I don't care what you do for a living. I'd rather dig ditches and, be, and know the Lord than be the king of England. Amen? Or the president of the United States. And you know what? The queen of England could learn something from a godly ditch digger. Amen? It's not the other way around. All people kneel and care. No, we don't kneel. You know what? She needs to listen to him. Not the other way around. And so often he's saying, oh, but, you know, I'm just a shepherd. I can't, I can't go into the Pharaoh. Oh, man, 
I, I'm a stutterer. I, I can't, God can't use me. I'm not eloquent. I'm not fluent of speech. Aren't you glad that God doesn't care about ability but availability? Amen? He's not, he's not looking for someone who's perfect. He didn't come for the righteous but for sinners. Amen? And that's every one of us in this room tonight. Neither before nor since have you spoken to the servants. He accuses God of having overlooked his speech. You know, Lord, can I clue you in on something? Have you noticed? I don't speak very well. Do you know that God knows a lot more about you even than you know? You ever thought about that? You don't know the number of hairs on your head, but God does. You don't know the number of your days? God does. You, don't, you, you know what I mean? God knows everything, and he that knows me best loves me most, and that blows me away. But here's the thing, God has a calling upon Moses' life, and he starts to question it, and he starts to doubt, and say, God couldn't possibly use me. Look at verse 11. Let's see how God responds to this. The Lord said to him, Who has made a man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth, and teach you what you will say. So God rebukes Moses. He reminds him that he not only knows his speech, but he had made him the way that he was. And then he could change his speech if he wanted to. And his response is, look, I know everything about you, so here's what I have to say. Go and do what I've asked you to do. What has God asked each one of us to do? What was the great commission that he left the apostles with when he ascended back into heaven? He said, go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, did he just say that to just the pastors? No, he said to all of us. You know, You've heard me use this analogy before. They don't take all the lights in the city and put them on one street corner. Because if they did, we'd have one bright, one bright corner and the rest of the city would be pitch black. And God doesn't take all the Christians and put them in one spot. He spreads us out all over the place. Why? That we might be salt and light wherever we are. You're the only Jesus some people will ever see. The neighborhood you live in, God's called you to be the light of that place. When it comes to Moses, he's saying, look, I want you to go. He's commanding him to go and to be used by God. The Lord follows up his words with a command, to be obedient to the calling he had placed upon his life. Look at verse 12 again. He says, go, and I will, be, I will be your mouth. I will teach you what to say. Again, where God guides, God provides. He will equip us for the calling he's placed upon our life. If God, if God desires that you be someone to share your faith, which he does, then he's going to give you the words. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been sharing your faith and you don't even know where the words are coming from? How many know what I'm talking about, right? You're sharing your faith, and amen, the Holy Spirit just takes over, and you're like, whoa. It's kind of long for the ride. Words come, I mean, I don't, oh, what that, and verses are coming out. And you're like, wow, this is awesome. You know what that is? It's, a, a bil, it's not ability, it's availability. Amen? It's you being available for God to use you. And here's Moses saying, but I'm a stutterer, and, you know, I, I'm not real eloquent of speech, and, you know, I, I can't do it. And the Lord says, look. I commanded you, I called you, go. Go do it. Moses is blowing it. Now look what it says here in verse 13. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. What is he saying? You know, Lord, could you send someone else? I mean, you know, I'm with you, Lord, but don't bother me. You know, I, you know now wait a minute. Hey, Mo, weren't you there at the burning bush just a minute ago when I was speaking to you? Didn't, didn't I say I am that I am? What, now, what about when I, you reached down and grabbed the serpent and I turned it into a rod? Were, were you paying attention? Now, what about when you stuck your hand and pulled it out, had leprosy, put it back in, and leprosy was gone? What about the blood, water turning into... Do you think I know what I'm doing, Moses? And you know what Moses is saying? You know, uh, why don't you just use someone else? Because I, I just don't want to do it. You know what? That's the problem with most of the church today. Most people in the church are waiting for someone else to do it. 
Do you know what? The Holy Spirit that's in Billy Graham and the Holy Spirit that's in Chuck Smith and the Holy Spirit that's in whoever you're, the people you look up to in Christendom is the same Holy Spirit that's in you. Amen? And you know what? Billy Graham's probably not coming to your workplace this week, but you're going to be there. And God wants to use you. And the same Holy Spirit that speaks through him speaks through you. And you know what? His prayers are not heard any better than your prayers. And so often we want to look and we want someone else to do it. And Moses says, well, just send somebody else. I, uh, no, not me. Uh, no, I, I don't want to be called. I just, I want to get into heaven. I want to get out of hell free card. I want to, you know, I want to go to heaven. I want the mansion. But Lord, I, I just want to chill until it's time to go to heaven. But you know what? God did not save us that we would be pew potatoes. Amen? He didn't save us so we'd just be the biggest, fattest sheep in town, the best fed people, right? and doing nothing. God saved us to use us for his glory. And so Moses says, well, could, could you get somebody else? You know, Moses didn't understand that God had delivered him out of the Nile River. Remember that? When he was born? And God had put him into the house of Pharaoh. And God had allowed him to grow there. And then God put him in the backside of the wilderness. This was an 80-year plan that God was bringing into effect. God didn't just make up his mind, you know, an hour ago. Oh, I think I'll use Moses. Oh, you don't want to do it? Okay, I'll pick somebody else. That's not the way God does stuff. Amen? God has a calling on your life from before you were born. He's sovereign. He's God. He knows what he's doing. Let's trust him. Amen? And so Moses says, well, no, I think... Now, let's see how the Lord responds to someone saying, I don't really care about your calling. I've got other things I've got to do. Let's see what the Lord does. Verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God got angry. You know what? A lot of times we think the highest would be to respond to God's call, but if I don't, it's not that big a deal. I mean... You know, I'll still be a good Christian. I'll go to church on Sunday, but you know, I don't have to. I don't have to be like totally sold out or anything, do I? I mean, I don't have to be a Jesus freak or you know. I mean, you know, I, I just want to have a relationship with God. You know, a couple hours a week, right? I mean, I, Lord, you know, and I'll pray over my meal and I'll thank you for my Cheerios and you know, I'll, you know, I'll, you know, Lord. And if someone really just goes off about, or someone comes up and asks me about you, I'll, I'll probably tell them. But Lord, I mean, that's about it. You know, Lord, don't, you know, I don't have to take all of my life. Wait a minute. What did he give for us? All of his life. Amen? And if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And this was an 80-year plan. And Moses goes, no, I'm not into it, God. I'm not doing it. And the Lord got angry. So what does that mean? That means if God's got a calling on my life, and I choose to disobey him, that it grieves and angers the heart of God. Did you know that? what it says right here. It grieves. And, now again, I want you to know, God is a God of love and grace and mercy, and he's not up in the sky with a lightning bolt waiting for you to make a mistake so he can smoke you, because if he was, we'd all be a pile of ashes, and it'd be game over. There'd be no church, right? But, he's, but at the same time, we can grieve the heart of God, because he's, he's saved us to use us for his glory. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, because he had focused on his own physical inadequacy instead of the power of God. Humility before God is one thing, but doubt is another. And look what it says in the rest of verse 14. And he said to him, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will put the word in your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So God overcomes Moses' reluctance by bringing him a co-laborer for the ministry. He brings someone to come alongside him. Now, 
this might seem like, oh, well, that's perfect. Because, you know, in the Bible, you see that he sent them out two by two. And, you know, God always does that with his disciples. He sends them out two by two, and he brings those that come alongside you. But you know what? The reality is that God's perfect plan was Moses to go do this himself. And you know why we know this? Because we'll see later on in the chapter. What happens when Moses is up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments? What's Aaron doing? He's making a golden calf. Is that the kind of spokesman you think God's looking for? I don't think so. But you know what? At the same time, because of his reluctance, the Lord says, okay, it's not my perfect will, but here's what I'll do. I'm going to bring your brother, and I'll let him be the one who speaks on your behalf. Again, Moses missed God's highest. Why? Because he was afraid of what men would think. God will still guide and lead them. He himself shall be as his mouth. And he even says, you know what? You're going to be as God to him. He's... You're going to, I'm going to speak to you, you're going to speak to your brother, and your brother's going to speak to the people. That's what's going to happen. The tongue of Aaron, the head and the heart of Moses. There is one good thing we learn from this, though. That God has called and equipped each one of us differently. And you know what? The church is lacking if you're not using your gift. Why? Because we're all gifted differently. Amen? The Bible says if we're all an eye, if we were all eye, an eye where would be the hearing? You know, if we were all a tongue, where would be the seeing, right? I mean, God has gifted us each differently. And that's why we're to forsake not the gathering ourselves together, because when we don't come, then the church, there's a hole in the church. Amen? Something's missing. That person who's been called by God to do that isn't here. And so we're called to be used by God mightily. We're called to take the gifts that God has given us that we might first see the need that each of the other person has, that we might minister to them, and also that they might minister to to us. Verse 17. It says, oh, verse 16, sorry. So you shall be his spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as your mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. So like I said, God would speak to Moses, Moses would speak to Aaron. Verse 17. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. Take this rod. This is the same rod he had carried around as a shepherd. It was a place of humbling and training. Forty years in the school of God. That's where Moses was. Backside of the desert. He went from being, you know, one of the Pharaoh's grandsons to killing one of the, the Egyptians because he saw what they were doing to, to um, an Israelite man. He killed him, and because of that, the word got out, and he had to flee. And he spent 40 years in the backside of the desert at the school of God, being prepared for the calling that God had in his life. Some of you may be going through a difficult time right now. And you know what? Every trial we go through and everything we go through in life is preparation for what God has next. Every single thing that we go through is preparation for what God is going to do in our lives next. So it says here, take this rod in your hand and with which you shall do the signs. What's interesting to me is God is going to use this shepherd stick to do great signs. You know what that tells me? God can use a stick. That means God can use me. And God can use you. Amen? He can speak from a donkey. Ask Balaam, right? You ride along, donkey turns around. Don't you see the angels up here? What's wrong with you? You know, so God can speak to a donkey. So that means he can speak through us. Amen? And God can use a stick. So that means God can use us. Amen? And so he says, I want you to take that right. And you know what it would be? Wouldn't that be a constant reminder to Moses of where he came from? As he's carrying that stick around. Wouldn't it remind him of his 40 years that he spent 
out in the backside of the desert. So now we're going to see Moses return to Egypt. So Moses went and returned to Jethro's father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now what do we learn as he departs from Midian, this place that he'd been 40 years? God had called him into ministry. He had heard from the Lord. He was going to be obedient to God. But notice that he leaves his place of employment on good terms. Amen? I've heard people say, yep, God told me, let's go to Bible college, I'm leaving. Well, what do you mean you're leaving? I'm leaving, that's it, I'm leaving tonight. Well, are you going to give your boss, oh, I'll attack with him, I've been called by God, I've got to go. Wait a minute, that's not how we do things, amen? As Christians, we leave a, testimony, a good testimony from where we came from, amen? And he goes into Jethro and he says, let me go, can I go back? Now he knows he's been called by God. And you know what? People are afraid to ask the question because they're afraid the answer will be no. Let me tell you something. Where God is leading and guiding, God will overcome all that. Amen? I've had people tell me, well, I, you know, Pastor Dave, we, we, I, I don't really want to go through pre-marriage counseling. Well, why is that? Well, we might find out. You might tell us that, you know, there's something wrong in our relationship and you don't want to do our what? What are you afraid of? You know what? As Christians, we should want our, every relationship to be examined under the Word of God. Amen? Everything we're going, we shouldn't be afraid of having someone take a look at our life and our heart and our mind. And you know what? God had a plan for Moses. And Moses went to his father-in-law and said, you know what, I want to go back. And he said, go. And he went with the blessing of his father-in-law, who in this case is also his employer. Verse 19, Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go return to Egypt, for, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Now this may have just been to take away a concern that Moses had. He said, you know what, when you get back there, those guys that wanted to kill you, they're all dead, you don't have to worry about that been taken care of. Verse 20. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Didn't that blow you away that this stick is now the rod of God? Amen? That stick I used to carry around that I found on the ground is now the rod of God. Boy, the other thing I love about this, what did Moses do when he went into ministry? Who did he take with him? He took his family. You know why? God doesn't call men he calls families. Amen? He doesn't just call women. He calls families. When God's calling you into ministry, He calls your whole family. You know, if, if your family's fighting with you to be in the ministry, it's not going to work. And we see here that as He goes and He's called, He takes His wife and His sons with Him. Why? Because God has called them too. God has called my wife to be a pastor's wife and my kids to be preacher's kids. Are they perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. But God has called us all. And there's sacrifices my kids have to make sometimes. Sometimes I'm studying and I can't do things with them. But they know and they understand that that's the calling that's on my life, so it's the calling that's on their life. Amen? So when one of us is called, the whole family is called. Now I want to say this too. There are a lot of people, and we're going to see this with Moses, that are disqualified from ministry because they don't take care of their first ministry. What is the first ministry? It's your family. The Bible says a man doesn't rule in his own house, how can he rule in the church? I've had people say to me all the time, well, Pastor Dave, I want to be in ministry. I say, let me ask you a question. Do you minister to your family? Do you minister to your wife? Do you minister to your kids? Do you pray with your kids? Do you pray with your family? You're a godly example at home? Go home and do that first. Amen? Because we're not doing that, we can't do anything else for the kingdom of God. We must first be the spiritual leader in our home, the priest in our household, before God will use us to do anything else. Moses takes his family with him. It's a picture of what should happen for those who are called into the ministry. Verse 21. 
We're going to look at the continued instruction on the way. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all the wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now this is interesting. We're almost done here. It's when he's on his way to Egypt that God gives him more instruction. Have you ever noticed sometimes that you have to take the first step before God shows you the second one? You ever notice that? Sometimes it's, you know, we, we sit back and say, okay, Lord, now tell me about this, tell me about this calling, you know, children's ministry. Tell me, now what does that mean? How many hours am I going to have to spend? How old are the kids going to be? And can I get out of it if I don't like it after a while? You know, I mean, we want the roadmap. We want every answer and every aspect laid out for us before we'll step out and do it. And often what happens is, you know, and God can do anything, but there's a saying that says God can't steer a parked car. God could if he wanted because he's God and do anything he wants. But you know what? The reality is we've got to put the car in gear sometimes before God will tell us to turn right or turn left. And Moses is on his way, and he says, oh, by the way, you're not going to just tell the Israelites. You're going to talk to Pharaoh too. What? You know, oh, man, I, oh, Israelites, they lie, you know, the Pharaoh. I grew up in that house. Man. You know, but he says, I want you to go. And oh, by the way, when you get there, he's not going to want to hear it. Isn't that what it says right here? He said, when you get there, I'm going to harden his heart. So he's not going to let the people go. But I want you to go anyway. Do the wonders before him, just like I called you to do. And Pharaoh's not going to receive it. Now, some people struggle with this, that God would harden the heart of Pharaoh. I will harden his heart. Some people say, see there, that proves that we don't have free will because God has hardened his heart and he didn't have any choice. You know what? That's why you have to read the whole Bible. Amen? Because you know what happens before Pharaoh hardens his heart? Before God hardens the heart of Pharaoh? Seven times. Eight times, actually, in total. God comes to Pharaoh and it says, and Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then God comes to Pharaoh and, and, the, and the plague comes and Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then another plague comes and he has an opportunity and Moses speaks to him and Pharaoh hardens his heart. And after eight times of Pharaoh hardening his heart, God says, I am now going to harden your heart. You know what happens when we say no to the Lord and no to the Lord and no to the Lord and no to the Lord? Every single person that spends eternity in hell separated from God has to run over the cross of Christ to get there. Has to say no to God over and over and over and over and over. You know why? Because the Lord comes to them repeatedly. I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. I died for you. I don't care what you've done. I love you. No, I don't care. I, I want to be on the throne of my own life. Don't tell me. I, no, not interested. Somebody else, no, not interested. And eventually, after 50, 100, 1,000 times of us doing that in our lifetime, we're given what we've been asking for. We've asked, no, 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 no. I don't want you. I don't need you, Lord. I don't need you, God. And you know what? That's what happens to Pharaoh. Pharaoh gets opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. This is a prediction from God, what will happen all the way in chapter 7, when Pharaoh will harden his heart. He's, he's saying he's going to harden his heart, and that's exactly what he's going to do, because God is sovereign, he's omniscient, he knows what's next, even when man doesn't understand. He says there, in verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that, we may, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. In Egypt, the firstborn was major important. They put a lot of importance on their firstborn. That's where the heritage went. It was preeminence. And so when the word came to the Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn. That's what God is saying. Pharaoh would instantly understand that God is saying that Israel is the most important thing to me. It's my treasured possession. And if you don't let my firstborn go, I'm going to come and kill your firstborn son. Is that not what we see happen in a couple chapters? 
It's exactly what we see happen. God is warning him. God is a gracious and a merciful God. He gives people opportunities to accept him, to repent, to turn away. And you know what? He's not going to do it. So I say to you, let my son go. If you do not, I will kill him. Moses' son is circumcised. Now this is interesting. All of a sudden, this almost looks like, where did this come from? Well, look at, let me read these three verses to you, and, and it, it's almost like, where in the world did this come from? And then I'll share it with you. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. What? Wait a minute. Moses finally is obedient to God. He's headed to Egypt like he was supposed to be, and on his way there, God stops him, meet him meets him, and seeks to kill Moses. What? Where did that come from? What happened? Wait a minute, he finally obeyed, and you, you, you said his son's going to be there, and he's going to be delivered. Egypt. This is an 80-year plan, isn't this, Lord? You've been planning this for 80 years. What do you mean you're going to kill him? How, where is this coming from? Look at verse 25. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cast, cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet, that's pretty graphic, and said, surely you are the husband of blood to me. You know what had happened? Moses had been disobedient. God had made a covenant with Israel that they would circumcise their children, which was a picture of an outward covenant of an inward change with God, of an inward statement to God, kind of like baptism is now. It's an outward statement of an inward change. It was a physical change on their body that showed that they were committed to God. And here's what I believe. This is my opinion. I believe that Moses, because his wife Zipporah was not from Israel, I believe he succumbed to his wife's wishes and he did not circumcise his children like he was supposed to. And now he's headed back to be used by God and God strikes him down and I believe he's so ill that he can't do it. And now it falls to Zipporah. And she goes and takes a flintstone and goes and circumcises her son. And then she's mad at her husband saying, you're a husband of blood to me because she had a problem with circumcision to begin with. But you know what? The reality is that if Moses had been obedient to do what God had called him to do, he wouldn't be dealing with this now. If we're not obedient to raise our children in a godly home, if we're not obedient to, to cleanse our home, to, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, then we're going to deal with the consequences later. Most of you know I spent many, about a dozen years as a youth pastor. And I used to see high school kids that were a disaster. And then I saw some that were on fire for God. I had kids I'd take to you know, to Russia with me, and they stand on street corners and preach Jesus without compromise and be leading people to the Lord and leading Christian clubs at school. And then you see other kids who, you know, were cussing me out. What's the difference? In most cases, it's parents who raise them in a godly home. Now, not always. Sometimes you're going to raise your kids in a godly home and they're going to rebel. But here's the reality. When we don't raise our kids in a godly home, we will reap the consequences of that. Amen? Sometimes the easiest thing to do is put them in front of the TV and let the TV be their babysitter. You know what? We need to raise our kids in a godly home. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is just let them go do what all their friends are doing. All my friends are doing it. All right, go ahead. You know what? We need to be obedient to what God's called us to do no matter what the world is doing. Amen? And here Moses had fallen into that trap. He had heeded the voice of his wife. Hey, I'm out in the desert anyway. Who's going to know? We're probably never going to go back there. I don't need to circumcise myself. I'll just let her have it. I'll just, I'll just succumb to it. You know what? He needed to be the spiritual leader in his home. And you know what? These are the consequences of it. He almost lost his life. And says, you shall be a husband of blood to me. Verse 26. So he let him go. The he there is God. God let Moses go when he became obedient. 
As soon as he got back into an obedient walk with God, he was no longer under the affliction that God had placed upon him. Then, then she said, you are the husband of blood because of the circumcision. She had a problem with it. She didn't agree with it. You know what? Another reason, that we, and I'm not saying that he was out of God's will, but you know what? We're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's what the Bible says. You know what? One of the things I get asked to do all, uh, uh, quite frequently is I get asked to do weddings, which I love to do. Love to do weddings. And what I love about weddings is it's a picture of Christ in the church. My favorite part is when the door flies open, the bride comes out, and I'm standing next to the groom, and he's, <laughs> I mean, it's awesome, man. And I'm not even getting married. I'm usually uh, doing one of these because it's a pretty powerful moment. And it's a picture of Christ in the church. And as the bride comes down, I mean, you see in the Bible, God talks more about husband and wife than he does the church in the Bible. And it's a picture of that. But you know what? We're not to be married to the world. And we're not to be married to an unbeliever. Now, does that mean that we're being self-righteous? No. It just means that God has a perfect plan. The Bible says those who don't know God are dead in their trespasses and sins. And we've been made alive in Christ. And if you marry somebody who doesn't know God, you're going to end up with some Zipporah problems. Right? Well, I'm taking the kids to church. No, you're not. Yes, I... No, you're not. I'm, no, right? I mean, that's what's going to happen. Your kids are going to say, well, how come we have to go to church? Dad's going surfing. I want to go surfing. I mean, that's what's going to happen. I mean, the end result is, and so a lot of times when I get asked to do weddings, I sit people down and say, well, tell me your, te- first thing I always do, tell me your testimony, how, how, tell me how you came to know Jesus Christ, and how you know this is the person you're supposed to spend the rest of your life with. Sometimes, I, you know, it's an awesome moment. You know, oh yeah, I know, and this is why. And a lot of times it's the first time the other person's heard their te- the other person's testimony. Sometimes I get, testimony? What's that? You know? What are you talking about? God? What are you ta- oh, wait, we got a problem. Now, here, now, what I like to do there is I like to share the gospel, and I've actually led people to the Lord in pre-marriage counseling, which is great. But I'm not going to do a wedding of two people who are unequally yoked. Why? Because God doesn't see it that way. Amen? It's outside of God's will. Zipporah problems. That's what happens when you're not being equally yoked. A lot of times we think God forgot about us. We've got to hurry up and marry somebody. My, my biological clock's ticking. You've got to marry somebody. And you know what? And we go out there and we just grab the next person that comes by instead of saying, you know what? God, you're faithful. God, you're in control. God, I trust you. Last, last few verses. Verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron. So he goes from there and now he goes to Aaron. Go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. The mountain of God is Mount Sinai. And so Aaron shows up. It may have been as many as 40 years since he's seen his brother. His brother comes. What an awesome reunion. His brother comes. They hug each other. They're excited to be together. Now watch Moses' obedience in speaking to his brother. So Moses told Aaron all the words that the Lord had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. So Moses is obedient here. He turns to his brother and says, here's the things God's called us to do. You're going to be the mouth. God's going to speak to me. I'm going to speak to you. And by the way, here's the signs he wants us to do. He wants us to, well, there's going to be a, now let me show you the stick. Come over here, let me show you how this works. I'm going to drop the stick. Okay, now pick it up by the tail. Oh, see, look at that. Isn't that good? That's pretty neat. Now put your hand in there. Now, look at, oh, put it back. See, now look at that. That's what we're supposed to do. God's told us what we're supposed to do. I want to train you. Now, this is what we're going to go do. Me and you, Aaron, we're going together. Okay. Now, that's obedience. Amen? He ministered what God had told him to do, and he shared it with his brothers. With his brother. Now, the next thing he does, verse 29, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. Earlier in the chapter, he said, I want you to go, and I want you to gather together all the elders. So, Moses was being obedient. He's finally getting it. Aren't you glad that God's gracious and merciful? Amen? 
I feel like sometimes God has to do that to me. You know, Dave, Dave, you know, it's about the 56th time. Oh, 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 okay. And then I go do it, and God's gracious. Well, that's Moses. He's finally getting it, and he's being obedient. And you know what? God's going to use it. Verse 30, And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. So God spoke to Moses, Moses spoke to Aaron, Aaron spoke to the people. Then he did all the signs in the sight of the people. Verse 31, we'll close with this. Worship team, you guys can come back up. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Now, what happens, what is the ultimate result of us being obedient to God's calling upon our life? It's verse 31. Let's read that one more time. And the people what? Believed. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. When we're obedient to the Word of God and His calling upon our life, then we're able to impact the lives of others. And it says, They believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and they looked on their affliction, they bowed their heads, and they worshipped. So the other result of us being obedient to God's calling upon our life is people come to know God, and then people end up worshipping the Lord. Can there be any greater fruit of ministry than people worshipping God? Amen? And His kingdom being added to. So let me close with this. I'm going to ask you some questions, and we're going to close with this song. How have you responded to God's calling upon your life? Do you even know what it is? I've had some people tell me, Pastor Dave, I don't know what my calling is. And I say, well, I do. You're already doing it. You've got people coming over to your house. You've got hospitality. You're a servant. You love people. Man, you're already doing it. What do you mean? Sometimes we just need, and we need to go before the throne of God and say, Lord, what is my calling? Show it to me. When God shows you the calling upon your life, how do you respond? With humility or with pride or with doubt? God calls you. It should be, well, who am I, Lord, that you can use me? But at the same time, we should not doubt to the point we don't let God use us. Do we point at the unbelief of others? Lord, I could never minister to them. I'm just, there's just no way. Do we tell God, I'm just too inadequate? Lord, you don't, well, you, do you, you're probably calling him, not me. You missed. It's, it, I, I can't do it. There's just no way. We don't point out our inadequacies. Has disobedience rendered you ineffective for ministry? Have you gotten outside of God's will and now you can't be used by God? You know what? The good news is you can take a million steps away from God. It's only one step back. Amen? No matter how far away you get from him, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. He loves you. He still wants to use you. Start by spending intimate time in God's presence and ministering to your family. Begin there first. Pray that God will reveal His calling to you. And remember that a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. When you have a burden for something, that's God showing you what He's calling you to do. I still love teenagers. And and people say, oh man, that's got to be a calling. But you know, I mean, I do. I love teenagers. I'd be driving down the road in Southern California on sales calls. I'd see six teenagers standing on a street corner. I'd pull my car over and get out and talk to them. Why? Because that's a burden that originates from God. And a burden is a spawning God. If you've got a burden for something, that's God calling you. Amen? So let's be praying that God will reveal. Because you know, on Sundays, I don't know if you saw Sunday, this place is filling up. God's doing a work here. And you know what? As the church continues to grow, we're going to need more servants. We're going to need more people that are faithful to the calling that God's placed upon them so we continue to minister to God's people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, for your calling. We thank you that whatever you've called us to do, you equip us to do. And that we don't go through this alone. And Lord, I thank you for bringing Jared and Matt here tonight, Father. Just what a blessing they've been, these guys from the youth group at Gateway, Lord. And just pray right now that, Father, we would end tonight just by lifting up our voices, telling you that we love you, thanking you, Father, for all that you've done in us and all that you continue to do. 
Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.